my name is Alison Schwarten, and I'd like to welcome Professor Judy Herman from the University of Delaware in the United States, who will be talking with us about her recent commentary in EBN regarding the linkage between abuse or neglect in the adolescent years and teen pregnancy. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Herman. Oh, thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Firstly, Judith, can I ask you to introduce yourself and tell us about your current position? Certainly. I'm a professor of nursing at the University of Delaware, and I'm an educator and a researcher. My researcher, my research looks at adolescent sexual decision-making and cognitive development and its impact on things like pregnancy, violence in relationships, and um, repercussions for young children. Um, let's firstly focus on the teen mothers that were featured in the study that uh, your commentary's written about. What types of neglect or abuse had these mothers experienced during adolescence, and how was this identified? So this study actually was unique in that it only looked at confirmed or documented abuse. And so they separated it into three categories, although many of the young women probably experienced more than one type of abuse, but they looked at the primary identified abuse as they came through Children Protective Services. So about 37% were physically abused, 43% were sexually abused, and 20% were considered neglected. Obviously, what this study doesn't include is all of those young women who have been abused any one of those three realms, but were not documented or were not reported to the Children Protective Services within their state. Tell me a little bit about the challenge of identifying um, adolescents who are at risk or are currently being neglected or abused. Well, partially there is a there's a stigma around any type of abuse such that many young people feel like they may be to blame or there may not be an advocate who is speaking out for them. Um, abuse can be very covert, especially things like sexual abuse. And neglect is very difficult to identify. The article brings up that the neglect cases were really only brought up when a parent was incarcerated or when there was a significant neighbor or community identification of the neglect um, because many teens are somewhat autonomous and so neglect can be difficult to identify. With physical abuse, um, we know that there is a sense of um, covert nature to a lot of physical abuse and people just don't report it. Um, teens are beginning to potentially have reciprocal violence with their um, parents or other people in their home and therefore they um, potentially it's not reported because both are kind of feeling responsible so it's kind of swept under the rug. Um, I also think that there's a huge amount of guilt associated and peer pressure comes in as teens don't want to admit what kind of life that they you know they lead. They feel dependent upon these parents that um, or guardians or other people in the home. It could be relationships with their parents, um, people who have relationships with their parents. So it's, it's very difficult. It's a very hidden problem, even though we're trying to make it come out in the open as much as possible. So what do you think that there was an increased risk of pregnancy for these teenagers? Well, for many people, you know, adults think that having a baby as a teen is all negative, that there's only negative repercussions. But a lot of research now is looking at the fact that Many teens see positives coming out of having a teen birth. It cements a relationship, at least they believe it does. It may provide positive, um, you know, feelings of self-worth as you bring a baby into the world and they're able to mother yourself and, and kind of rectify the errors of your 
home life. Um, there's attention that's bestowed upon people that have babies. Um, it's something to love and cherish, just like across the lifespan. What's important about adolescent thinking is, is that they're not always thinking long term. They're not thinking about <clears throat> how is this going to impact my life? Will I be able to sustain myself and this baby, complete my education? What impact might it have on my relationships with others? Um, and so, you know, when you think about the life of someone who's gone through significant trauma, they've dealt with just many, many different emotions and beliefs and attitudes. And now potentially having a baby during this time can really provide some positive reinforcement, can provide goals for living. Um, I've known many young mothers who turn their life around after they sustained a pregnancy and had a baby as a teen. So, you know, from an adult lens, this looks like an, a way to make a difficult life more complex. And yet in many teens' minds, it actually is a way out. It's a way to repair some of the issues related to their self-esteem and um, make their life a little bit better where they may figure they don't have another way. They don't know how else to improve their lives. I think it's interesting what you were saying about the different lens that you put on these these findings, the the difference in the adolescent lens. And do you think there was anything unique about the location of this study? Are the findings relevant elsewhere? Where was the study actually located? Well, it was actually done in the Midwest in an urban center, <clears throat> but the authors were quick to identify that the urban center is kind of a catchment area for the rural um, areas around it. And so they felt that they had somewhat of a good mix of urban, rural, and suburban. You know, a lot of times people consider abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, teen pregnancy to really have a very urban demography. But what we know is that it's across socioeconomic strata, across um, geography, it's, it really doesn't have a location. Um, so the study did a good job. Of course, the Midwest is going to, you know, one of the weaknesses of the study is that it had a very low number of Hispanics who participated. And we know that at this point, Hispanics have the largest growing teen birth rate. So that's obviously a weakness that they self-identified um, just because of their location. So can you tell me a little bit about the strengths and weaknesses of the methods used in this study from your perspective? Sure. Um, one of the things I was most impressed by is that the authors were able to uh, isolate the abuse status from other contextual variables. One of the hardest things that we find is that um, when we look at, you know, people are complex. They don't have just one characteristic. So when we look at things like poverty, social disadvantage, um, community neglect, and community deterioration, sometimes it's hard to tease those out from other variables within their lives. And these um, authors were able to do a comparison group and do some matched demographics so that they were able to isolate the three types of abuse away so that they were able to really look at some correlations with sexual abuse, physical abuse, and neglect away from other contextual variables. Um, the comparison group was certainly a very strong component of this study. They looked at trying to create a comparison group that was somewhat equivalent to the experimental group, and they looked very hard at, um, you know, the birth records. They didn't talk about self-report of pregnancy, and they also looked at children protective services records so that it was confirmed or documented child abuse and neglect. So um, I think the study was pretty rigorous based on those ideas. 
Um, the weaknesses, I already mentioned a little bit about the Hispanic issue. And as I mentioned before, many of these abuses don't happen in isolation, but happen with one or all three. And so some may consider that a weakness. I'm not positive that it is. And we, when we talk about the results, it is interesting how, um, you know, the, the young women that were neglected really had the highest birth rates, which may inform how we look at that. We also, um, as they talked a little bit about um, their pregnancy um, or their birth, we're really only talking about births here. And so one of the indications for future research is to think about other outcomes of pregnancy, whether they be abortions, therapeutic abortions, or spontaneous miscarriages or abortions. That So we're really not capturing all those people, those young women who have pregnancies. It's only about the teen birth. Other than that, I thought the study was rigorous and tight and um, pretty informative. What are the main implications for care providers with this study, do you think? Are there any particular clinical practice issues that we can pick up on from here or some policy issues? Right. So the teen birth rates in this study were found to be highest, as I said before, among those young women who experienced neglect. And although that was only 20% of the sample, they literally, by two and threefold, um, increased the national average for um, teen birth. And um, the sexual abuse was second, and then physical abuse was third. So I would say as far as implications, probably the biggest thing is just the recognition of trauma in our society. And we talk a lot about this within our um, local area, and I think it's pretty much a trend in understanding that girls come to your services with a huge amount of issues and variables and baggage that needs to be explored before we attempt to intervene. And when we appreciate that, when we screen for that, when we ask about that in a sensitive, teen-friendly manner, then we can move on and look at things like primary prevention strategies that talk about goal setting, talk about uh, having a realistic idea of how a baby now may impact you in 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, what impact will it have on your education, your work, your family, your relationships, your peers, and really spending some time thinking about reproductive life planning that is all about intentional birth and a true plan for your life. Um, and I think that that's important for Children Protective Services, it's important for healthcare providers, it's important for nurses to really look at how we can interrelate our services. Other things that I had thought a little bit about was just having an index of suspicion that as we work with young women who have experienced abuse and neglect and sexual abuse, that we really ask them about their reproductive health, their use of contraception, their sexual activity, and talk to them. It's a great place to really just talk to them about communicability of STIs, uh, HIV, all of those things that are so important. Um, I think counseling is critical as young women um, express themselves and understand that their sexual health, health is a very important part of their self-esteem and that is a very precious gift that sexual activity is with responsibilities and, and just make them feel special in their, their own right rather than using sexuality as a bartering chip or a tool or a manipulator. It, it, to me, it's just very important. I think that the point you make about reproductive life planning is a really important one and 
the the long term implications and health implications for the young women um, is very important. In terms of future research and perhaps even long term research, what are your thoughts that that come from this work? One of the big things that hit me when writing the commentary, and I've, I've done a little bit of research with working with curricula for girls in out of home care who could be in foster care things, is that there's not a huge amount of curricula per se or um, interventions that are evidence-based looking at how we promote sexual health in girls with history of trauma. So I think um, the trauma-informed approach, there's some strategies out there, but they haven't gone through rigorous evaluation. So I think one of the important things with this is to try and look at those young women who have trauma Look at their characteristics. What makes those characteristics? What makes makes them unique? And designing a curriculum that is specific to their needs. We all know that um, responsible sexual behavior goes beyond a curriculum. So, looking at what are the supports in the community, things like mentoring programs, um, community support, probably also getting a better idea of whether these results could be replicated in other parts of the world and. Um, thinking a little bit about whether or not these results are unique to the Midwest or whether they're generalizable to the rest of the nation and the world, I think are going to be areas that could be researched. And I also think my personal research and what I feel very strongly is making sure that we talk to the teens, making sure we get their perspectives. Often we design programs and policies based on adult perspectives. And I think it is important for us to talk to the young women who sustain trauma, what would help them. That's a really important point. So can you leave us with one final message to take from this research? I think one really important one is the partnership between protective services and health professionals within the states, the provinces, the areas, because sometimes we work in silos and how important it is that those that work with public health work with those who are in the kids department or however that's set up so that we're really talking about this increased risk and we're using those evidence-based approaches to help them have the highest level of sexual health. Um, the second is appreciating the complexity that some young people are, are living in day to day and again as I mentioned before getting their perceptions and really asking them you know, about their lives. And then probably a quick third one is just this study was about birth, um, trying to design some research or looking at research that may in, um, include pregnancies because that's a whole other realm that is out there. If we could just add one more, the protective factors. What are the protective factors? And the article brings that up. Why is it that some young women who sustain and have very complex lives, what protects them from having a teen birth versus those that choose this route in their lives or this route kind of falls upon them with unprotected sex. They're very important messages to our listeners. We've been talking with Professor Judy Herman from the University of Delaware. Thank you so much for joining us. We've really enjoyed hearing about this. Thank you so much. <laughs>